When I was in the fourth grade, I was learning my times tables, uh, as probably most of you were. At least that's when they uh, sprung those things on us. Not being one uh, to uh, be very astute uh, with uh, arithmetic or mathematics uh, through the rest of my life, it took me a while to figure out how to pass these quizzes that were given us on a regular basis at St. Benedict's School in Montebello. Mrs. Terribio was her name, and she had very little patience with uh, some of us uh, ones that were catching on a little slower, and I couldn't get it, and I couldn't get it, and I couldn't get it, and one day, bored with uh, mostly everything that I was bored with at school, which was kind of uh, the narrative for my life, actually. I just was not a very good student, and I saw I was messing around with my pe peachy. Who knows what I'm talking about? It's not a dirty word. It's a... Uh, um, <laughs> Took a while for some, yeah, our Hispanic folks caught that right away. Um, but uh, the, it, was the, uh, it was the peachy folder is what they called it. And it had you know, pictures of sports people in the front. But if you opened it up and you, you kept all your, uh, your papers in it, there was a little thing that was related to your times tables over on, how many remember that little thing there? And of course, we didn't have access to that at all during the, the quizzes. But I was looking at it, and there w I had a moment where I went, okay, so four times five is 20, but, f but f five times four is also 20? You know, everybody else in the room got this weeks ago, <laughs> right? And it was one of those aha moments, one of those, one of those moments where you just, you get something and you're so excited about it, but you also realize that everybody else has it, so it's really no big deal to anybody, there's nobody to tell uh, about it at all. But I started passing the quizzes, uh, actually, and I was glad for that moment. And I found as time went on, there's a lot of those moments uh, that come along in our lives, and especially related to our faith and to the scriptures as well. Because understanding uh, the love of God that we, that we sang about and that we sensed uh, this morning is, is certainly one aspect of, of uh, primary aspect, I would say, of, of his, his mission to us is to communicate his love to us, but there's all these other aspects. There's all these other things that, that as we read the Gospels and the epistles that, that we have to find dots to connect so that it makes more and more sense to us as, as time goes on. And so this morning, what I want to talk about from the Gospel of Matthew that we're in is something that, that really connected some dots for me. And I hope it'll be true uh, for some of you uh, as we look at a couple of the parables in Matthew chapter 13. Before we do that, I wanna do a little spade work uh, regarding the kingdom of God. Because if we don't understand that uh, fairly clearly, the parables then uh, won't make a lot of sense to us. And frankly, the rest of the scriptures don't make a, a lot of sense to us. This is an aspect 
of understanding the New Testament that is crucial. And, uh, and it was for me the peachy, you know, aha moment uh, when finally I saw this and it, and it affected everything. It affected how I worshiped. It affected how I prayed. It affected how I dealt with crises in my life. It affected really just uh, across the board. So, so with that, bear with me here for a few minutes as I ask the question, what does Bible mean when it uses the word kingdom? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. We see that over and over in the scriptures, uh, primarily from uh, the gospels and out of the mouth of Jesus. The primary meaning of both the Hebrew word malkuth in the Old Testament, for you do find it in the Old Testament as well, so it is Malkuth, and the Greek word in the New Testament is Basilia, is the rank or the authority or the sovereignty exercised by a king. It has to do with, and we run into this all the time, God's rule or God's reign, right? God's rule or God's reign associated with the idea of the kingdom of God. All of us are familiar with uh, the prayer known as the Our Father, huh? Because I went to a parochial school, it was one of the first things I learned in the first grade. That and the Apostles' Creed and some other prayers too that uh, stayed with us. And the reason I had to learn is because we had morning prayer every morning. And we stood like this and 50 kids and a nun uh, prayed that prayer. Most of us had no idea what we were saying or, or referring to or talking about. We knew it had something to do with God, and we knew if we didn't do it, we would be in big trouble. But you know it. Let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come stop. So Jesus is teaching this to the disciples who are asking him, teach us to pray. And so he says, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, let's continue, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me repeat that part. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a huge insight into what we want to begin to understand as the kingdom of God, that somehow there is a kingdom somewhere that is functioning differently than where we are right now. And so the idea is we're praying into this, this concept that, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done from where you are to the earth. Let there be a connection there, and more and more, let me see your kingdom coming more and more. So we're inviting God's rulership when we pray that prayer. That's a good prayer, by the way. Do you know that? We get, I think, as, as uh, non-Catholics, because the Catholics have really hammered that one home for years and years and years, 
you know, part of the Protestant Reformation was, well, whatever they're doing, let's stop that. Except that they were doing some pretty good stuff. And this is one of them right here, because why? Well, it's right out of the Bible. So those of you that aren't good at like making prayers up, you know, have you been to, you know, with like almost professional prayers? Uh, let's pray. And you did, you know, you hand it over here to Sister Susie and she goes on for about 10 minutes. And it's like she, I mean, it just flows. You know, I remember how intimidated I was when I got used to get into those prayer circles. Uh, and I learned how to pray that way. That's the way you learn to pray, by the way, is you get with people who know how. And you, you hear their prayers. But the Our Father is a great prayer. It's a great prayer to start your day with. And, and so uh, it is, every time you pray it, you are calling God's rulership, God's reign, God's authority to increase and expand in the earth, often in a particular situation. So we're asking heaven to come to earth. Hey, heaven, come to earth. Hell's breaking loose. We need something to address that, amen? You ever have a little hell break loose in your life? You, I mean, you didn't even see it coming, there it is. Right? So Lord, your kingdom come to my country, to my state, to Chino, to my church, to my house, to my head. Amen? Amen. And, and so uh, this idea of, of the kingdom sort of being ushered in is, is a thing that we need to understand as we think about Jesus and his mission here. He was not just coming to be a good teacher or even to just die for our sins, though that's certainly a part of, the, of, of this larger concept here. But but this kingdom concept is very, very important. He spoke often, and Paul did too, about, about two things. He, he talked about this age, and then he talked about the age to come, right? This age, where we are now, but then the age to come as well. So there's going to be not just this age, but there's going to be a time when this kingdom is going to come and it's going to come in a fullness that we have never seen before, that we've only heard about when we've read certain prophetic passages or when we've uh, uh, moved through the book of Revelation and at least the parts that we can understand. Anybody read the book of Revelation, scratch your head and go, what? the heck is going on there? I have, even after pastoring for 37 years, I do not, I do not understand certain parts of the book of Revelation, and if you don't, then we ought to start a club. Um, but you will find people on TV and on the radio who've got that stuff nailed down, I don't believe them for a second. That was for free, okay. <laughs> so there's a certain order of, uh, of human 
society that characterizes this age. And I just want to hit that very quickly in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. This is Paul talking, and he's, he's trying just reminding these folks of some things. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The ruler of the kingdom. You mean somebody else is in charge? There's somebody else? There's a conflict going on here that Paul is speaking? Yes. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. See, folks, that aspect of our faith and our life in God uh, has um, built into it the idea of a war, of conflict, of a battle, of really horrible stuff going on in places that we can't always see. Now, Hardly anybody likes to talk about that because it's unpleasant often. And we don't want to, you know, I just want to think about Jesus making me happy and putting my life together and healing me of all of my insecurity and, and all this stuff, right? Which he will do. But there is this aspect that if you are not willing to acknowledge the fact that this is going on, then you are going to get messed up because it's going on whether you want to admit it or not. It's like somebody in 1940, about 25 miles out of London, who hear noises at night and say, oh, it's just the kids throwing rocks and doing the fireworks and all of that. And Germany is bombing that great city. But they're 20 miles away from it, it's really not affecting them. So, you know, I mean, you know, it's just that. I don't want to think about anything bad happening over, over there. And we must come to terms with this, or, or we uh, will find ourselves in some very, very unpleasant dilemmas over the course of our lives. So, Paul says there is this ruler of the kingdom of the air. I'm not, I'm not going to try to, to, try to uh, explain that any more than just what you can see there. Paul says there's somebody with some authority out there that's, that's messing with people who don't even know that they're being messed with. So the character of this age bears the stamp of, and, and here's where we get really anti-intellectual and anti-academic. <gasps> Satan, the devil, Lucifer. See, nobody wants to, I mean, that just sounds like, yeah, that just sounds dumb to the culture that we live in right now. Now, Jesus was glad to use those names. Paul? Absolutely. Any other, but we, you know, we say, well, come on, let's not say that. Can we just use euphemisms? So I'm just going to say Satan, devil, right? Because that's who we're dealing with. That's who, that's who we're dealing with. So um, he's the one that Kelly referred to, uh, that come, the evil one that comes and, and steals the seed 
from last week in the parable of the soils, remember? He's that, he's that one. And, um, and he's also the one that's bearing the pressures and all the other things that people worry about that keeps them from being able to let the seed bear fruit. Remember that? So the spirit of this age, have you noticed, is hostile to the gospel. Just is. Now, 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and 4 says this very quickly, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, okay, we had, we had other language there, the ruler of the air, but now Paul is saying that there's God, small g, of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there's, the picture is a veil over the eyes so that there's people who can't see. Can't see what's really going on as regards the Lord's uh, will, the Lord's ways, the Lord's overtures in their direction. So let me say it. Satan is the God of this age, and he has been allowed to exercise a measure of authority and power throughout the duration of this age. Okay? So he's not, he's not doing this without permission of the God, but he is nonetheless doing his stuff. And many of us could testify in that regard about things that he has done. Listen, let me just ask you, you know, where does evil and hatred and deception and strife and conflict and misery and pain and suffering and dying come from? You think that comes from heaven? No. 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 It comes from hell. It comes from Satan. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, you can do the, you know, Boy, am I going to date myself right now. The Geraldine line from the Flip Wilson show of 300 years ago that, where she said, the devil made me do it, right? The devil don't make you do anything. Um, you don't throw that responsibility off. You're a free moral agent, all of us, and eventually we answer to God. But it does mean that evil is more than human. Evil has a root. Evil has a father. And the root, and the roots of that evil has to do with blindness and darkness and unbelief and, and all of that sort of, that sort of thing. But we're God's creatures, are we not? We are God's, we belong to him. And our responsibility, pardon me, our responsibility is toward him and not that darkness. The root of sin is found in man's refusal to acknowledge in grateful dependence the gifts and the goodness of God. And so what do we do? Well, we get, we get very uh, sophisticated and very smart. And uh, America, you know, our, our country at this particular point is... You know, we, we are the, we're the sharpies in the world. Oh, we are. 
We are. And, and so this blindness that I'm talking about can be very cultured. It can be very intelligent. It can even be very religious. Imagine that. And yet blind. All of that. And so Satan's prime desire is to keep people from Christ. Right? Just set it up in a way to make all those Christ followers look like a bunch of stupid idiots. Just dummies, unsophisticated. They actually believe in a devil. Oh, right? And folks, you know, we're not going like to right-wing politics here. So for all of you, you know, that are putting the brakes on right now, just, just hold on. We've all been, unfortunately, uh, indoctrinated by media, uh, both on the left and the right, unfortunately. And that's not where I'm going. But as long as men and women are satisfied that human adequacy and sufficiency are the highest goals, they are spiritually blind and in the dark. In other words, the issues in the United States really aren't all about Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> There's something deeper going on. It has to do with what it is, but... Unfortunately, we're glued to the TV, most of us, all the time, and you can get believing that if I just join the right party, we're going to get this thing done. But no. No, we're not. So here's the, here's the nub of, of what I want you to get just before, just before we get into uh, the Scripture. And... I'm not going to spend a long time there, you'll be glad to know, because this run up here, this run up here is probably as important, if not more important, than, than what the parables say, but they are important. So the kingdom of God has invaded this evil age that people may know something of its blessing even while the evil age is going on. So here's two, here's two words, there's the already and there's the not yet. Right? So the kingdom, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. Why? Because I'm here. I'm bringing it with me. Really? Yeah. Oh, good. We're going to overthrow Caesar and, and give it to these Roman centurions and, and take out. Well, no. There's a different kind of thing going on here when we talk about the kingdom of God. And it's here already. Well, where is it? Well, it's here but it's not here in its fullness. So it's the already, but then it's the not yet. Well, when's that not yet come? Well, that's at the end of the age. That's this age, age to come. But there is enough of it here that stuff can happen. And if you don't believe me, just read the gospel. Stuff was happening all over the place. But it wasn't happening as a political overthrow. It was something... Very different. In 1 John 3, 8, there's a little what some people would call kind of a throwaway line. The reason I call it a throwaway line is, is because you don't hear much of it, and it's in a different kind of a context. But in, in 1 John 3, 8, listen to this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Boom. Boom. 
Whenever they were having the meeting, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay, what are we going to do? Why am I doing this? To destroy the devil. Okay, I got that. We're going to destroy the devils. It was a destruction mission, folks. It was a lot of other things, but don't ever forget that Jesus coming to the earth was to destroy. To destroy. To destroy. It was destruction that he had in mind. Not of you and not of me. He came because to destroy the devil's work was to bring wholeness and life and salvation and deliverance to all of us. Amen? But there had to be a destruction. And that continues. It continued in his life and ultimately... uh, at the cross and the resurrection for sure, but it continues as we get into the Father's business with him and he teaches us in the age that we live in and that we're responsible for how to do that as well. Anybody ever heard the term spiritual warfare? Right? We wrestle not with, right? Flesh and blood, principalities, powers, rulers of the air. Right? Okay. So what does the kingdom of God mean? The defeat of the enemies of God. Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Satan, sin, death, the whole shooting match, right? And we're a part of that because we have been affected by that. His message was the kingdom of God is here. And here's the mystery that's involved in that. And when you hear the, or see the word mystery in the New Testament, it has to do with a, a truth that has yet to be revealed, but, will, but is revealed because Jesus has come. So instead of uh, destroying human governments, Jesus was trying to tell them, it, this kingdom that he brings has attacked the government of Satan. Instead of making changes in the external political order of things, it is making changes in the spiritual order and in the lives of men and women. It has come, listen, quietly, unobtrusively, secretly, and subversively. Right? He didn't roll into Jerusalem on a tank Donkey, right? Okay, the parables, very quickly. Two parables, parable of the soils and parable, uh, pardon me, not parable of the soils, parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast in chapter uh, 13. We got them up there? It'll take me too long to look for it. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. 
Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. So that's the idea of, of the mystery uh, that, that there were things hidden. And until Jesus came and began to talk about the kingdom of God, they didn't understand that the kingdom of God didn't mean rolling into town on a tank, but it meant overthrowing the kingdom of Satan, of the devil, and establishing more and more the kingdom of God in its place. You are all, most of you, representative of that. You have been uh, touched by that kingdom of God. It found you, didn't it? Either in your family or, uh, you, know, uh, you know, like me, just kind of going out with some girl who came to the Lord, messed up the relationship. But uh, <laughs> I'll tell you that story sometime. So what is the point of those parables, of the, uh, of the seed and the yeast? Even though the mustard seed is the tiniest thing, and it is kind of, it just sort of works secretively. It's sort of, uh, it's hidden. It's, it's not, you know, uh, making a big show of itself, yet it grows and begins to turn into something that you would have never imagined. Huh? And with the yeast, the same truth. The dough swallows up the leaven so that you're hardly aware of its presence. It can scarcely, scarcely be seen. Amen? But it's there, and it's working. Now, what could a Galilean carpenter and a dozen ragtag Jews accomplish? That was the question in those days, right? This little cult of people that seem to be saying things that our teachers, our Pharisees and Sadducees, they've never said things like that before, but he's saying these things. What, what in the world could they accomplish anyway? That's how the kingdom of God presents itself when it's in maybe the best hands and the best expressions. They, it always starts small. Just starts small. But then it turns into something that you would never imagine. Amen? Okay, I will tell you that story. So, Lori, so Lori's a junior in high school. High school students, where are you? Where's my high schoolers? Are they here? Any of the third row or whatever? Yeah? So some little girl in choir at Montebello High School invites her to church. And lo and behold, Lori listens, and, and at the end of the time, there was an invitation, and she says, yeah, I want to do that. I want to I give my life to Christ. She begins to grow. She's discipled. And finally, somewhere in all of this, the Lord directs her to break up with me, a nightclub musician of, uh, of four and a half years older than her. Um, no, I mean, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, uh, you know, this, this, would be, this would be the kind of thing God would do. And I'm just going, oh, gee, you know, I went to parochial school. I know about all that God stuff. But 
Uh, she said, I'm sorry, it's over. Uh, because you're going one way and I'm going another. I said, okay. And uh, I was miserable through most of uh, that time. But situations came around. A few months later, I invited her out, and she said yes. And I took her to a jazz nightclub, and we went. And uh, I sat in the front. I think I was drinking uh, Tom Collins in those days. And uh, there were, in fact, I think I had a couple of them before I realized what was going on because the band, this was not a Christian nightclub, but the band was a band called Sea Wind, and C they were all Christians. And they were playing this killer Chikoria kind of jazz funk stuff that I just love, except they were singing about Jesus. And in fact, one of their songs was called The Devil is a Liar. And I'm sitting there going, can we just get out of here, you know? And I went to church the next Sunday where she was going to church. And that's my story. But look, you know, mustard seed kind of stuff. And then we kind of continued on as a couple. And then pretty soon God called us to plant a church in Highland Park. And then from there, we went to uh, Massachusetts and, and, and took a, a small church and it, and it grew and, and all that. And then we came to Brea and, and we did what we did in Brea, but, but it started so small. It was just a high school kid. Just a high school kid. In, and it turned out that she was loving God more than she was loving me, and she had to break that news to me. I thought she was crazy. <laughs> Two quick stories. Two quick stories and we're done. I got, this, I got these two stories from a, a very trusted friend, very trusted friend. If you know me, you know I hate hype. I hate just saying stuff to say it or maybe this happened or whatever. These two stories happened, okay? And they happened in, within the last few months or so. He, he, he writes, I was just forward the most amazing audio record recording just weeks ago in Alabama between a doctor who was an oncologist and his patient, a woman who, intends a, who attends a Foursquare church with a verified tumor on her kidney. So the recording is between the doctor and the patient, okay? He walks in and asks the question, did I operate on you? Did, did I remove the tumor? And the woman who had been prayed for and prophesied over in the church the previous Sunday responded, no. Well, did someone else operate on you? Because it's gone. I, I can see the niche where it was sealed. And the woman responded, yes, God did it. He went on to say that he didn't understand how it could just go away. Where'd it go? It's gone. God did it. The woman responded, be quiet, you. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to do that, folks. I'm sorry. And the doctor's finishing words of the conversation was, we should stay in touch. That really happened. Second story. 
Caleb Brown was sharing with me today about a personal strategy the Lord gave him to start churches in a day around the world in certain fields. Did you hear me? To start churches in a day. Recently in India, they walked into a village, all on video, where they discovered one believer out of 400 people. They asked to be taken to the sickest person in the village. God miraculously healed this elderly gentleman of a serious disease. They moved on to the next house and, uh, and so on until everyone, 400 of them, was following them around. Many uh, healing and deliverances uh, were reported, and in the evening they set up a van with crude lighting on top right on the street, and every person responded to the message of salvation, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and decided they wanted to belong to a community of faith. The only previous believer, first guy, remember him, was appointed the pastor. And weekly they send two people into the village for discipleship. It's happening in multiple villages after much intercession. Okay, this is couple of corners of the world, little oncology office in Alabama. Little village, 400 people in India. And the kingdom of God coming quietly, unobtrusively, subverse, subversively, and affecting and upsetting the kingdom of darkness and establishing the kingdom of God. It's still happening, folks. And it comes. It comes like the leaven. And it comes like the mustard seed. Do not despise the days of small beginnings. Amen? Do not. Father, thank you for your word, for your goodness, for your grace. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen.